the Pentecost season. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. And of course, the fact of the matter is we're always in Pentecost season. But I'm going to continue to preach a message this morning surrounding uh, the events of which surround the day of Pentecost. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 3. I welcome you to turn there with me, please, if you'd like to follow the scriptures as I read in just a couple of moments. The work of the Holy Spirit is signally important to every church. It's important to the work of the church of Jesus Christ in the world today. That is why Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit upon his arrival at his ascension at the throne of his Father. In fact, before he was ever crucified, he told his disciples numbers of times that he would go away in a cloud of persecution and suffering, but that he would send the Comforter to them. In fact, he made it very clear that his interpretation of sending the Comforter was an improvement over his being with his disciples physically in the flesh and in person. Jesus, of course, is still with us because he's alive and fully alive in every way. The Holy Spirit is here to minister the presence of Jesus, to make known to us the glories of his name and who he is, and to bring us into the fullness of all that Jesus has planned and prepared for us. That's why he said, it's expedient for you if I, that I go away. It's good for you, better for you, to your advantage if I go away. Because when I go away, he said, I will send the Comforter to you. On the day of Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled. There's so many things to preach about around the day of Pentecost and around the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to limit it to one particular thing today and share with you what I've called the living witness. In the interest of full disclosure, I have preached on this portion of Scripture before. Years ago, I guess I preached on it many times, but I mean, I mean, in this church, I preached on it one time before, and I called the message that same time the living witness, as I'm calling it today. However, it's not the same message. As I went through it and developed it, I realized that I'm really emphasizing different points and making different observations from what I did that first time. So, if you want to go back and find that in the record of our of our media page on our website and listen to it just to check out whether I've said the same thing or not, you please do it. Or for any other reason, you just go listen to it to compare it with today, and maybe you'll get two points of view on this and two explanations. They're not different. They're just, they're just, they're not, I mean, they're not different interpretations. They're different in the presentation, but the truth is still the same. So in Acts chapter 3, I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Those words as a prelude were to give you time to find that place to follow with me. So if you have now, this is what it says. I am reading in the, uh, in, in the English Standard Version, the ESV. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And the man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, 
realms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Father, may your Holy Spirit energize the words that are spoken today, anoint every thought so that as a sharp arrow it can pierce the minds and hearts of every hearer. Give us that truth from you, Lord, that we need today that will draw us closer, closer into relationship with you and give us better understanding of the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Move upon us this day, Lord, as we declare this word of truth that you have revealed. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Peter and John customarily went to the temple at the hour of prayer. I don't know that they went every day, although the hour of prayer was held every day. But, and there was more than one. This particular time was the 3 o'clock in the afternoon prayer meeting that they were going to, and on their way to the prayer meeting, they passed by the entrance to the temple, which was called the Beautiful Gate. I don't know how many times they'd ever passed by that gate before, and no record that tells me that. I could speculate and say that's the way they went every time. Most of us are creatures of habit. We drive home the same way. Every time we drive from wherever we're going, we drive to work the same way. We drive to church the same way. When you leave home, you follow the same pattern almost every time. Not that you couldn't go a different way, but we're just creatures of heaven. And so I would imagine, without being able to prove it, that Peter and John went up and oftentimes went through the beautiful gate into the temple. If they did, they saw this man because he was more than 40 years old, and for many, many years he had been placed in that same position as others brought him in and put him into that place so that he could make a, a living for himself by begging. The only way he had is a livelihood. So he was there daily, the scripture says, at the beautiful gate. They put him in the same place every time. So it's almost certain that Peter and John had seen him on other occasions, probably numerous times as they went into the temple at the hour of prayer. Even if they didn't go to the same time, the 3 p.m. prayer meeting, some of them were held at 3 p.m., some of them were held at 10.30. I say that hoping you know what I'm talking about. We have a prayer meeting here every Tuesday at 10.30. And I would suggest it's a good thing to do to go to the house of God at the hour of prayer. When it's at all possible to do that, as Peter and John did, and set something of an example for us. So they are here now.
into the temple, and here's the lame man sitting at the beautiful gate through which they're making their entrance into the temple, and they've seen him there before. I don't know if in the past if they'd given him anything as an alms. He certainly expected something from it. He put his hands and asked them for it again. This day, Peter didn't have any money with him, according to what he said. So when the man stretched out his hand and wanted them to give him alms to help him in it for his subsistence, Peter said, and John joined with him, the scripture says, look at us. He was asking him to focus his attention. Now, I don't know that at that very moment Peter knew what was going to happen, nor John knew what was going to happen. I'm not sure. But they began to follow the Holy Spirit as he led them. And the first thing they said was, look at us. His attention placed on them. I want to clarify to you in just a few minutes. They were not building themselves up. They were not exalting themselves. They were focusing the man's attention on something other than himself. One is attention and his faith focused in the right place. And somehow, in that, in that move of the Spirit of God in that time, faith rose in the hearts of Peter and John. I know it was different because this is the time that the Scripture describes the specific event and exactly how it happened and exactly what the results of it were. There were other times after the day of Pentecost that great things happened. The Bible says that in that period of time of the day of Pentecost, leading up to this time at the end of chapter 2, it says that signs and wonders were being done regularly by the hands of all the apostles. So great things were happening. But somehow, the Holy Spirit decides this is the one that he wants to, this is the event. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the power demonstrated in Jesus Christ that he wants to emphasize. So he gives us the full record of it and tells us exactly what happened in the words that were spoken and the results of it. None of the other signs and wonders were done that way. So I'm taking it that this was unique and different from the other things that were done. I believe that that's a record that we ought to stand on. The word of faith, or the gift of faith, is a work of the Holy Spirit. If you read about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you will find numbers of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. And those gifts are covered in this event that happens here in the third chapter of Acts. One of the important gifts, all of them are important, one of the very important ones is the gift of faith. Every gift that the Holy Spirit speaks about, as Paul delineates them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is a gift of the Spirit for a, an occasion and for an event. When he says he gives us wisdom. He doesn't give us wisdom. He gives us the words of wisdom, indicating that it's for a specific time and for a specific need. The same thing with words of knowledge. Discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a supernatural faith, beyond the regular normal ability of our, of our believing status with the Lord. We have faith and have to have faith every day. It's impossible to please God without faith. But there is also a supernatural faith. And some of you have experienced this. You find something happening, and you speak a word in faith, and sometimes when you're expecting this to happen, you, when you've said it, you say, oh, my, what, 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 
was that I just said? Why did I say that? And then you realize as God moves in it, that it's the Holy Spirit moving. He's given that, that word, that expression, that experience of faith that's for that occasion. I've experienced that. I know several numbers, of maybe many of you have. Here's the time when Peter and John experienced that. Look at us, they said. So they looked at them. And then, in that faith given by the Holy Spirit, energized by his presence, they reach out. Peter reaches out his hand and takes the man by the hand and pulls on him. And the man stands up. And while he's standing up, while he's rising, Peter says, we don't have any silver and gold, but we do have this to give to you. And then he starts to pull him up and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And the man stands up and begins to walk. The Bible says immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he started to move about and walk about until the word began to spread. People say, isn't this the man that we saw sitting at the gate all those days begging for alms? And one says, it can't be him because he can't walk. You know, the song says, if you want to know what happened, ask the blind man. He saw it all. When Jesus touches you, it makes a change. It makes a difference. And the power of God touched him, and he was the same man in a different body. Sometimes with the same body and a different spirit. God had touched his body and healed him. There are those of you right here who have experienced healing. It may be that you haven't experienced healing as dramatic as this one. It doesn't matter. I've said this a number of times, and I want to say this again today. I believe it's so important that we understand it and recognize it. Every miracle is the same with God. It doesn't take any more of God's power to perform a miracle of any kind than it does to perform a miracle of another kind. So in other words, there are no big miracles and little miracles with God. There are big miracles and little miracles with us. We see them in a different light. We see them from a different perspective. But it doesn't take any more of God's power to do what he did in Acts chapter 3 than it does to do what he's done for you this week in your life if God's answered prayer for you. Do you believe that? And we'll start believing God for greater and greater things. See, when we realize that, we'll realize it's all within the purview of God's power. If God can do one thing, he can do anything. If God can't do anything, then he can't do anything. But if God can do anything, he can do everything. God isn't limited in what he can do. The size of God's miracles is not determined by what we think about it. With God, there's no little miracle, no big miracle. It's all just a miracle with God. And you can have a miracle. You can have the power of God. And some of you have had that in answers to prayer recently, maybe even this week. You're not jumping up down with excitement and thrill. <laughs> Especially if you've had that answer this week. <laughs> I, want to, I want to get one of those answers sometime that, that helps me do that. I know you're going to be excited when that happens. I walk around here so you, when, when that happens and I start jumping up and down and running around this place, and coming right on the edge of this but missing the falling off the edge, and all that starts happening, you're going to say, wow, something must have happened because something's touched faster. Something's got hold of faster. I'm ready 
for that. All I want to make sure of is God doing it. That's all. Well, here he is. Here's Jesus doing it again. And he can do it today just like he did then. I want to tell you one more time. God is a God of miracles, and all miracles are the same with him. That's something we need to understand. I want to, I want to emphasize to you also that what these people did, there was no charge for anything they did. You know, there are some people who pray for folks, and, and while they've been asked for something, they don't give anything. But once they pray for you, they want you to pay for them, pay for them to pray for you. I don't like that idea of, of pray for pay. I don't mind getting paid, but I don't want to do it just because I'm praying, because I preach. So I, I, I don't want to pray for money, and I, want to, I don't mean to pray for it because I don't, want to, I, want, I don't want to pray so people will pay me for praying for them. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't want to preach so people will pay me for preaching to them. And we want to do that for the glory of God. And I'm trying to emphasize you, that's what Peter and John did. They said, look at us. But they weren't trying to glorify themselves. Because as soon as he spoke to them, he said, we don't have any silver or gold, but I've got something to give you. And then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who just recently died on the cross, who shortly after that rose from the dead, who just a few days ago ascended to heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the living Lord of glory, who now has conquered death and everything that afflicts your body, he has conquered it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And the man jumped up. I, I know today if something like that happens and, you, and, and people are still weak, and I, I don't put any, there's nothing to castigate people for that. If, you, if something happens in your life, you're still weak, you're still sore from what it was, maybe they're, they're still aftereffects. It just so happened in this case, when the man was healed, he was instantly and immediately rejuvenated in his strength so that he could get up and walk everywhere that Peter and John went. So now when they went in the temple, this is the record, when they went in the temple, he went with them. Bible says holding on to them. He wouldn't let go. So everywhere they went, he went. Now, shortly after this, they are arrested. Just, they're arrested because of, not because of the miracle that occurred, but because of the results of the miracle. Now, when there are great things that God is doing, there are results that happen. Those things are supposed to change our lives. God doesn't give you answer to prayer, a miracle, just so that you can have it and enjoy it and brag about it. Nothing wrong with testifying to it, but in a little bit different context. God gives us that so that our lives will be changed to be effective for Him. We'll be testimonies to let other people know, know, let other people know what the grace and the power of God can do for them. That's what God wants to do, miracles. So Peter starts to preach when they say, what's what's happened to this man? The crowds begin to gather. He takes that as an opportunity to preach the glory of God. So he begins to preach his message and says, I'll tell you what happened. If you want to know how this man standing before you healed today, whole and well, I will tell you, it's because the man that you crucified, that God raised from the dead, is alive today, and we brought him up from the crippled state he was in, sitting there for all of those years, for all of his life, in one simple way. This is what Peter said. And his name, the name of the one you crucified, the name of the one that God raised from the dead, the name of the one who ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, 
his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. You see him and know him. Yes, it's the same man. And God has touched him and healed him and given him the miracle. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. That's Acts chapter 3, verse 16. So then the council gets involved in it, and the religious leaders are upset. I don't know if anybody gets more upset and more disturbed when God really starts to move in great power than the church. The church gets mad about it. He didn't do it in our church. He didn't do it in our denomination. We didn't believe it anyway. That's why he didn't do it. But <laughs> and, and the church leaders really go to work writing out their blogs and their articles and their opinion columns. And, and the church is going to explain to you I'm using the church in a very generic sense now. All churches, all church leaders, all they're going to start explaining to you why this is a phenomenon of the mind. They're going to explain to you why this couldn't have happened this way and why in your low comprehension of spiritual things and scriptural truths, you misunderstood what was happening. They want you to know why this couldn't be today. It's some kind of phenomenon that medical science is still trying to figure out. They haven't quite got it figured out yet. But as soon as they do, they'll let us know. They don't know what it is yet, but it ain't God's power. It ain't, no, it's not because God's working miracles today. He stopped that a long time ago. So the church, 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 wants you to think that this is what's true. Here's the problem with it. Just like the problem when the council came together to arrest, they wanted to shut Peter and John up. They wanted to shut them up. They, they, the man, let the man go on. He's here. We want him to stop talking about it because why? Because they're talking about Jesus. They're naming his name. They're saying he did it because they're saying he rose from the dead. Because they're declaring he's a miracle worker. That's why we want you to stop talking about it. So the church said, "Let's put a muzzle on them. Let's stop them from talking. Call them up before the council. We'll threaten them. We'll scare them within an inch of their lives. We'll make these guys shut up." So they called him up before the council. And when they went before the council, guess who was there with them? The old cripple boy. <laughs> Except he wasn't that anymore. So now he's right there beside him walking with him. And they say, What's, what is it about you guys here? You're out here talking about all these things. And this man from Nazareth, you say, that he died on the cross. We saw him up there. And they say, this cannot be. This could not happen the way you're saying it happened. And the old boy standing behind me, he just says, And they said, whoa, whoa. And so Peter and John, look, look. You know, you know, there's some things you can't deny. There's some things you can say it's not true, but it doesn't make a bit of difference. It's true anyway. Anybody can say, oh, that couldn't happen today. It doesn't matter. It's already happened. You got here too late. You came to the party late. That's what I'm saying about baptism and the Holy Spirit, you know. I, I often said, if people had got me early enough, got to me soon enough, I might not have believed to being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. If they got to me soon enough. But by the time anybody got to me to tell me that that wasn't for today, it couldn't happen, I already had it. I was talking in tongues all over the place, and it didn't matter what they said. 
So when you got the reality, the, the little explanations of nonsense don't make any difference anymore. And when God's done a mighty work, God's done it, and nobody can deny it, nobody can refute it. They can argue about it, but they can't disclaim it. It's still there all the time. By some of you are sitting here in this congregation healed today. You're sitting here healed today because God touched you, gave you a mighty answer to prayer, gave you a miracle in this place. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It's time to shout and give God the glory. Yes, it is. Praise His holy name. Glory to God. And not only that, He ain't through yet. And I like to say things like that here now. And I like to say ain't just because I know you know I know better. But so God's, God's not through. So here's what he said. They said, they said, why, why, how could, this is not true. How could, how could what you're saying be true? And they said to the council, listen, listen, Sanhedrin, listen, council members, listen, Sadducees, listen, Pharisees, same thing for all of you, scribes, same truth for every single one of you, makes no difference. What level you're on, who you think you are, doesn't matter. Here's what, want you, here's what John and I want you to know that you're saying. If we're called today in question for this miracle, this good deed that we did to the crippled man, we want to let you know, without a shadow of a doubt, without a quibble or without an equivocation, we want you to know positively that this is what happened. Let it be known. I'm reading now from the scripture of chapter 3. Let it be known. This is, I'm sorry, this is in chapter 4. Peter says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And not only that, he said, I'm going to go a little bit further than that. Not only is he standing here before you well, but through that powerful, omnipotent name, but also it's true that there is no other name under heaven among all the names that are given or ever will be given. There is no other name under heaven for there is no one else, no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This is the only name. Hallelujah. Jesus is the only name. Jesus is the name of the healer. Jesus is the name of the Savior. Jesus is the name of the deliverer. Jesus is the name of the conqueror. Jesus is the name of the Lord. Jesus is the name of the King of kings. And his name never fails in his power or in his glory. Hallelujah. No other name. No other name. Only the name of Jesus. So they started looking over these, these guys, these two men. They started looking at them, give them a good look, check them out carefully. Maybe we can bring these boys in and put them on our side and, and get some benefit out of this. I don't know what they were thinking, but when they looked at them, they said, ah, no, that won't work. These guys, these guys, we would never want them on our council. We, we wouldn't even want them in, our san, in their synagogue, much less on our council. After all, the Bible says they took notice of them that they were unlearned. And the King James says they were unlearned and ignorant men. That was what the council said about them now. 
That's not what Jesus said about them. That's what the council said about them. They are unlearned and ignorant men. They're uneducated. They're very, very ordinary men. Just an everyday kind of guy. In fact, they smell like fish. Well, they were both fishermen. Probably, probably their clothes still had rancor from it. And so the council just could not, could not, could, they just could not assimilate all this. But this is what happened. <laughs> go, and, go and read all this. Please go read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Acts after when you get home today. Read those chapters. This is what happened. So, the, so the, they look at it and they say, well, they're, they're not educated. They're just ordinary men. They don't have anything to speak well of them. They're not high up in society. They're not wealthy. They're not educated. They're just very, very, very ordinary people. But there's something different about them. Because the Bible says they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And when they saw that boldness, they said something's different about them. These are not the kind of men that usually stand up and tell us what's for. These are the kind of men that usually shrink away and let us tell them. But no, they're standing up here boldly proclaiming the name of this man from Nazareth and saying that he's risen from the dead, that he's healing the sick and producing miracles. They are bold men. They shied back from nothing. In the presence of whatever the council was going to try to do to them, they said, Jesus is the name above every name. No matter what you say, it's still Jesus. No matter how much you deny it, it's still Jesus. No matter how much you did. How, how much you proclaim against him, it's still Jesus. No matter how negative you are, it's still Jesus. And nothing is going to change what we preach. Nothing's going to change it. It's still Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. So they saw how bold they were. And then the scripture says something very, very telling about them. I want this to be said about you and me. Now you can be bold in a lot of different ways. You can be bold just because you're brash. You can be bold just because you're brassy anyway. <laughs> it's good to be bold for God. Good to be bold for God. But then, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is what the Scripture says. They took knowledge of them. They understood that these men had been with Jesus. <laughs> That's what I want to be said about us. That's what I want the Holy Spirit to do in us. So when people look at us, they say, they're bold. There's something about them. There's something about them. There's something about them. Can't quite put my finger on it. There's something about them. They're different. They're not like everybody I come in contact with every day. There's something different about this person. And then when they hear you speak, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. It begins to dawn on them. Whoa, Jesus makes the difference. Jesus changes people. Jesus makes you a new person, a different person, not who you used to be, not who you thought you were. He turns you into a new creation. People take knowledge of you that you have been with Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So they've been with him. Anybody noticed anything different about us lately? I mean, something good different about us. We want people to notice something in a testimony that we bring 
just like Peter and John did. Yes, it was indeed a great, mighty act of God's power. But this is what the Apostle Paul said later on, speaking of this very kind of thing, how God does it in his way and by his choosing and in his will, how God does it. But this, this, this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said to the Corinthians, when I came to you, when I first came to you, teaching and preaching to you, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with all the education that Peter and John didn't have. I didn't come with all the background of society that Peter and John didn't have. I didn't come with all of those lackings that they had and, 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 and bring it because I had all of that, because Paul had all of that. He had the education. He had the societal standing. He had the zeal for the house of the God of, uh, of Israel. Wrongly placed, but he had it. And so he said, when I came to preach and teach to you, I came to you knowing nothing. What I preached to you was I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's all I preached. I didn't preach philosophy. I didn't preach literature. I didn't preach education. I didn't preach politics. I came to you preaching one thing only, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he went on to say, I therefore preached the gospel to you in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Because when we capitalize when we set our sights on the name of Jesus and glorify him, glorify his name, when we do that, then we know that we have tapped into the resources of Almighty God. And then we see the demonstration of the Spirit's power. You've seen that demonstration of the Spirit's power. Many of you in your life, you've seen that demonstration of the Spirit's power. You've seen it while you've been in services in this church. Some of you experienced it around this altar this morning. You've experienced it in the week. You've had answers that God has given you. You know they've come from God. That's the demonstration of the Spirit's power, doing what is beyond man's ability to do. And that is what God wants us to see in this message from his word today. Here was a demonstration of the Spirit's power, honoring and glorifying the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's the expression that we want to see. That's the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit that we want to see. We want to see him magnifying the name of Jesus, and that will produce the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And in our midst, we'll see great and mighty and powerful things that God is doing. You believe that? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me in prayer, please. It may be that you've already been to this altar this morning. It may be that you need to come again. Or maybe you haven't been, but maybe you need to come. Or maybe you've settled things with the Lord, and this is not something that is the place for you. But I am going to ask you this morning, if there's anybody here in this congregation this morning who has not had the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating your life, changing your life from the life of sin to the life of Jesus Christ in his righteousness, I'm going to ask you to let me pray for you this morning so you will have that experience with him. I don't need to know anything about you other than that you desire prayer.